Welcome to the Landmark Podcast. I'm Jason Calhoun, pastor of Landmark Pentecostal Church in Texarkana, Texas. We encourage you to visit us on the web at landmarkupc.net for a schedule of services and upcoming events. We pray that you are blessed by the message today. Thank you again for listening. fascinated with it. Amen? It's uh, one of those things that no matter how much you study it, how engrossed that you become in it, how much you read it, there's just more, it's kind of like a, a prism. You just turn it a little bit and look at it again, you see it's in a new light, in a new way, and it reveals new things to you. Praise God. That's the word of the Lord. Depths are fathomless, and its heights are unobtainable. But I am thankful that God's Word is rich and it's real and it's helpful to us no matter where we are and at what place we are in life. Praise God. If you have your Bibles, invite your attention to 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel 14, and then let's go in the Word of the Lord to the book of Psalms 34. First, First uh, Samuel chapter fourteen, and I want to jump into a narrative, a, a really a long story here. Just going to read a portion of it, and uh, we'll begin with verse twenty-three. So the Lord saved Israel that day, and the battle passed over unto Bethaven. And the men of Israel were distressed that day, for Saul had adjured the people, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food until evening, that I may be avenged of mine enemies. So none of the people tasted any food. And all they of the land came to a wood, and there was honey upon the ground. And when the people were coming to the wood, behold, the honey dropped, but no man put his hand to his mouth, for the people feared the oath. But Jonathan heard not when his father charged the people with the oath, wherefore he put forth the end of the rod that was in his hand and dipped it into a honeycomb and put his hand to his mouth, and his eyes were enlightened. Then answered one of the people and said, Thy father straightly charged the people with an oath, saying, Cursed be the man that eateth any food this day, and the people were faint. Then said Jonathan, My father hath troubled the land. See, I pray you, how mine eyes have been enlightened, because I tasted a little of this honey. How much more, if aptly, the people had eaten freely today of the spoil of their enemies, which they found, for had their not been now a much greater slaughter among the Philistines. And let's turn, if you would, on to the book of Psalms 34. Book of Psalms 34. And this, most of us have heard or quoted at one time or another. Verse 8. O oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man that trusteth in him. I really want to focus on that first sentence. It said, oh, just the word oh. And uh, that's not in the scripture a whole lot of times, but it is in this chapter at least three times. The word oh, oh, that's a word of emotion. I don't believe when the psalmist was writing these words or even as he was pondering these verses as he was writing them that he was just saying them or 
writing them with a monotone way of thinking or mindset. He wasn't saying the angel of the Lord encamped around about them that fear him and delivereth him, them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. But I believe that he stopped for a moment and said, Oh, taste and see. I don't ever want to lose that oh. I don't ever want to lose that awe and that wonder and that excitement and that enthusiasm and that passion. It's just, oh, God is so wonderful. Oh, God is so good. The Holy Ghost is so rich. Amen. Praise the Lord. Is that how you feel about it? It still still has an emphasis with you. It still has excitement with you. It still is a thrill to you. Oh, taste and see. It was a challenge. Saying, taste and see that the Lord is good. Hallelujah. And so I, I want to use that. I want to use that here tonight. I, I've told you before, I'm terrible with titles. You know, some people have a good title and don't have much of a message. <laughs> Sometimes it's, I, I can have a message and not have much of a title. I don't know which is which, but which is good or what, but I'm just going to preach what I feel tonight. Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see. Praise God. Would you lift your hands once again with me? Let's pray the Lord would have his way in this service here tonight. I thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for the Holy Ghost. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the power and the authority that is in the word of the Lord. I'm praying, God, that you would help us tonight. I thank you, Jesus. And I'm asking you to anoint every word that's spoken and every ear that is listening to hear and receive the Word of God. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Oh, taste and see. Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. You know, when we read the, the Old Testament, sometimes we think, what does this have to do with our modern-day experience? This doesn't seem like it pertains to me or relates to where I'm at, what I go through challenges I face in life and how that I live my life because the customs of that day, uh, the mindset of that day, the culture of that day, even the traditions were so much different from what you and I experience in our modern times. But can I tell you that the Old Testament is there for a reason. The Bible says that it is a schoolmaster and that it is bringing us to Christ. It's introducing us to the New Testament. And there's a lot of things that happen within the Old Testament that don't happen uh, just by coincidence, but they parallel with our modern-day experience in the New Covenant, the New Testament, and even when it comes to the Gospel. There's things that God allowed. I don't believe that anything that was documented in the Old Testament, even the historical books that we read, such as First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles, are what we call historical books. They're basically giving us a history of events that took place. But I believe that God allowed those events to happen for a reason, and then they were recorded because there's probably a lot of events that were not recorded. So we're only seeing the highlights and the important points. And the Bible does say that all Scripture was inspired of God. Amen? And is profitable. So we understand that this is profitable to us. And so I'm going to take an Old Testament story here and I'm going to parallel it to our modern day experience, in particular the gospel and the unfilling of the Holy Ghost and its importance to us. Now the text that I read to you from in 1 Samuel chapter 14 is a peculiar time in the history of the nation of Israel. And this leads to a very fascinating story about Jonathan, Saul's son. You've got to understand from the outset here that King Saul is backslidden at this juncture in his life. It's just one chapter previous in chapter 13 that he is disobedient to God when God commanded him to slay all of the Amalekites and not leave one of them, even down to their very babies or any of their cattle, their livestock, their sheep, any living thing among them, but to kill and slay 
every one of them. And Saul thought that he knew better than God. And he was disobedient. And he took back some of the best of the cattle and the sheep. And of course, he allowed King Agag, the king of the Amalekites, to live. And so we understand here in this story that leadership is very critical, no matter what level that leadership is on. And could I say here tonight that everybody under the sound of my voice is a leader? Because leaders, it really is just defined this way, leadership is influence. And all of us have influence over somebody. We're all leading someone. We're all impacting somebody's life. And so as leadership goes, so does the followers. And I know that that seems elementary, but let me say it another way. As a king goes, so goes the nation. As a president goes, so goes much of the nation. And if we're going to talk about it at our level, as a husband goes, so goes the wife many times. Because biblically he is to be the head of the wife or the leader, the influencer of the home. As a father goes, so goes the family. And as a parent, so goes the child. And as a pastor goes, many times the church goes. I've heard a lot of people talk about conservative churches or truth-believing uh, churches. Let me just tell you this. I don't believe in, in necessarily conservative churches. I believe that that is a result of conservative leadership and people that taught them and that bore this truth in their heart and that loved it enough to preach it and proclaim it. And standing for truth in this hour is more challenging than it has ever been. Can I say that? Amen. So Israel is demoralized. It's king now without anointing, without any wisdom of how to lead God's people. He doesn't have God's direction. You'll find if you read this story that Saul actually asked the Lord, should I pursue, should I, should I go and engage the Philistines? And God did not answer him because God had virtually dusted his hands of Saul and was not going to have anything else to do with him. And so he is now hiding under or beneath a pomegranate tree. And it is in this situation that they are in a hole, surrounded by their enemy. And uh, it doesn't look like they're getting anywhere fast. That Jonathan, Saul's son, which is the hero of this chapter, he rises up feeling inspired uh, by the Lord and understanding and having a revelation of a very important thing, and that was his identity. Let me just stop and say it's very important that you maintain your identity in God. Because the devil, he wants to confuse that. He wants to some way distort that in your mind. He wants you to think of yourself as anything but a child of God. He wants you to think of yourself as anything but a chosen people. He wants you to think of yourself as anything as empowered by God, as one of His. And so he wants you to accept that you uh, can do nothing in God, you can be nothing in God, that you're not anointing for any particular purpose, but we know that according to the Scripture that is not true. And so Jonathan realizes that I am called of God. I am one of God's chosen, and I am His child, I am His people. And I don't think that God would have his people in this hole. I don't think that God wants the enemy to be, be, be victorious over his people. And this isn't right. And so he talks to his armor bearer. And he asks him to go along with him. And we're going to climb up. They are down in this valley, in this canyon as it were. And we're going to climb up. And the Bible said it was sharp rocks that they climbed up on. So it was very steep. And they were climbing up out of this hole where they were pinned down by the enemy. And we're going to climb up to where the enemy is and engage them. 
can I say that if you advance in God, if you get anywhere in your relationship with the Lord, it's going to be because you're willing to put some effort forth, because you're willing to climb, because you're willing to take on a challenge, because you're willing to step up. Can somebody say amen? He was willing, if need be, to crawl out of this hole. He was willing, if need be, to, uh, to, to do whatever he had to do to scale out, to climb out, uh, tooth and toenail, to get out of this place, to advance and to obtain victory in the Lord. And so that's exactly what happened. This reminds me of another story in history around the time of the Civil War. There was a individual by the name of Joshua Chamberlain who was a colonel uh, for the northern armies and they were on what was called Little Round Top and this was a very pivotal battle in the Civil War and it was believed that if the rebels was to take Little Round Top that they would probably advance on and possibly even uh, win the war for sure they would delay any victory uh, by the Union forces. And so this battle was getting ready to take place. The rebels had surrounded them on Little Round Top, and they had been reinforced by a regiment from right here in Texas. And Colonel Joshua Chamberlain, was over the Union forces. The only problem was is the Union forces didn't have any ammo left. They didn't have any ammunition at all. But the enemy didn't know that. And most people would have probably turned and run, tried to flee or tried to surrender and work out some kind of a deal. But Joshua Chamberlain, realizing the gravity of what was going on, realizing what hinged upon this battle, ordered his men without any ammunition to charge down that mountain to engage the enemy. And history says that when they did so, that the rebels turned around and began to flee. And, of course, you know the, the rest of the story is that the Union forces went on uh, to win the war eventually. Had the Civil War not been won, I think that America would look a lot different than it does today in that it might look a lot more like Europe, split up and broke up. But it could have been because of this one man's decision to charge and have the courage to step out and do something that would seem fanatical to many, and that is to charge down that mountain without any ammunition into the very sights of the rebel forces who had plenty of ammunition and people to help them to fight this battle. He marched headlong down to the enemy, and the enemy saw their courage, and uh, they turned around and they fled. And many believe that it was because of this that was a hinge point for the war. And again, if the Civil War had not been won, America would look a lot different than it does today. But we are the United States of America today, which is a large country, and so many years down the road when World War II is being fought, the only nation, the only nation that can really stand up and fight a battle on two fronts, one against the uh, empire of Japan and the other against Germany and the, and the Nazis and the Hitler's army, uh, the only the only nation that could stand up to that was the United States that had the resources, the people, that had the ability to stand up and to fight and to hold off the enemy was the United States of America. And if you trace it back, it could have been because of one colonel's decision, Joshua Chamberlain, on Little Round Top that said, we're going to charge down there and we're going to do something that seems fanatical we're going to do something that doesn't seem too logical because there's a lot that hinges on this. So what are you trying to say, preacher? I'm trying to say that one person being willing to follow God, being willing to be courageous for God, 
being willing to be used of the Lord and accept the challenges spiritually that are there. There's a lot that hinges on that. Praise God. And Joshua was such a man that said, I'll stand up and nobody else will stand up. Now, you understand that Saul, if anybody should have been fighting the enemy, it should have been King Saul because he was head and shoulders above all the rest of the men of Israel. So he was the one that everybody looked to. He was the one that looked like the specimen of a soldier that should have been fighting battles, but yet he's holed up underneath a pomegranate tree in the shade, sipping tea, and, and wondering what the next move's going to be. And the enemy is growing stronger, and the threat is getting bigger, and nothing is getting better. But Joshua says, you know what, if daddy's not going to step up to it, I'll step up to the challenge. And he climbs up with his armor bearer. Now, Joshua could have had the attitude, as a lot of people do, that I'm going to wait on somebody else. I'm going to wait on somebody else to respond. I'm going to wait on somebody else to do something. And when somebody else makes the move, when somebody else steps out, when somebody has the courage to do something, then I'll join with them. But I'm not going to initiate anything. But that was not, that was not Jonathan's attitude. His attitude was is that I will be the initiator. I'll do whatever I must do to be victorious. And note that he did not criticize others for perhaps initially joining up with him because it was only he and his armor bearer that went up together at first. But by the conclusion of the story, it's obvious that there's others that have joined them in this fight. He didn't, he didn't point his finger and say, well, uh, they're, they're not as involved as I am and begin to criticize them, ostracize them, malign them for their lack of involvement. He just did what he could do and courage is contagious. Courage spread to others and they were inspired by his act of boldness and his faith to step out and do something great and courageous for God and they followed suit. Can I tell you that a lot of times instead of pointing fingers, what we need to do is just get busy ourselves. And if we'll pray, others will pray. And if we'll worship, others will worship. And if we'll get involved in evangelism, others will get involved in evangelism. And if we'll work for God in our area, come on. There's people in this place that maybe you want, you want your, your family members to, to worship more than what they worship or pray more than what they pray or be more faithful than what they are. Can I tell you that the best thing that you could do is to be a witness before them and I'm going to be the worshiper. I'm going to be the prayer warrior. I am going to lead out by being faithful to God. I'm going to be earnest and passionate for the things of God and let them look and examine your life and the consistency of it. You know, a lot of times we expect results over a 30-day period. And if that don't work, we chunk it and say, well, you know, I tried that. Oh, no, sometimes, well, the Bible said let patience have her perfect, perfect work. You've got to be patient and persistent. That's right, patient and persistent. Sounds like an oxymoron there. Sound, there is a balance between the two. Amen. You've got to stay at the door and knock, and you've got to keep on praying. You've got to keep on seeking. You've got to keep on believing. Come on, the miracle, the supernatural, the intervention of God is in that I-N-G. Seeking, knocking, asking. You just keep on doing That means you didn't just come once, and because it didn't happen, you quit, but you keep on. Knocking, you keep on seeking, you keep on praying, you keep on believing. Hallelujah. How many believes that, that God comes through for people that are consistent for Him? Amen. We're seeing the results of that right here in this church here lately. We're seeing the results of that. When, when, when people respond uh, to the gospel, that we've been praying for for a long time. That's a result of somebody that kept on asking, kept on believing, kept on knocking, kept on seeking. Praise God. Praise God. And so he and his armor bearer alone go up. They climb up. They engage the enemy. They show and reveal themselves. Just two men to a quatrain of, 
of soldiers of the Philistines. And the scripture tells us that they began, uh, the swords had basically been taken away from the Israelites. There wasn't many that remained. They had stole them and taken them from them. And also, the Bible said that this prolonged for uh, such a long time, it was so prolonged that there was not even any smiths in the land. Amen. There wasn't anybody that was building weapons. There wasn't anybody that was fashioning swords and, and uh, so on to fight in battles. And so, if I understand this story correctly, Joshua would knock the enemy down. And it was the armor bearer that came behind him and would finish him off, would slay him, would kill him. He would knock him down. Can I tell you something that preachers, your pastor, preachers that come through here, they can identify things in your life, but it's you that's going to have to finish it off. It's you that's going to have to slay that thing. We can knock it down, but we can't kill it for you. You're going to have to draw your sword spiritually. You're going to have to do war against it yourself spiritually. You're going to have to go to the prayer room and and, and not just not just uh, not not just feel convicted and stirred up about it, but but make sure that you slay that thing. You're gonna have to get down and wrestle it in an altar somewhere, and make sure that you've suffocated and snuffed out that sin in your life that the preaching of the word of God identified. He knocked it down, but the scripture says that the armor bearer finished it off. And. As they begin to fight, the scripture says that there was something supernatural that happened. And I love this. Because they stepped out, just two men up against a foe that outnumbered them. The odds being against them. But they stepped out on faith. They stepped out on being obedient to God. They stepped out with righteous courage. And as a result... The Bible says that the Lord sent an earthquake. Now, that's not the only time we see that in Scripture. We see that all, all the way over in the, old, in the New Testament, rather, with Paul and Silas when they started praising God in the prison. What is this revealing to us? What is it showing to us? It's showing that when we do what we can do, God will do and help us in what we cannot do. Amen? Praise God. When we put forth the effort, when we do everything that we know that we can do possibly, and we are obedient, and we cross every T and dot every I, and we do everything that we can possibly do, God intervenes. God steps up. God works it out. God helps us. Praise the Lord. Aren't you thankful that God steps in when you've exhausted all of your energy, when you've went through everything you know to do, when you're at the end of your abilities, God steps up and said, I'm going to help you now. I'm going to make up the margin now. I'm going to do what you cannot do now. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful that he does that for us. If you're willing to engage the enemy, Jonathan, then I'm going to be willing to cause a supernatural event to take place, something cataclysmic to take place to help you. The earthquake began to shake the ground. And the enemy melted away. And it was then that many of the Israelites began to notice the enemy melting away. And when they did, they went and told the message came to Saul, who's, again, underneath the pomegranate tree. And when he should have been out engaged in the battle, they come and brought the news to him <clears throat> that the Philistines, there's something happening over there, somebody without your permission, is out there fighting and engaging the enemy. Something is going on in the enemy's camp because they're melting away. They're, they're fleeing. And so he quickly said, number the people. Count up, do a roll call. And get the armies together and find out who's here and who's absent. And to his astonishment, it was his own son, Jonathan, that was not there for roll. 
And so very concerned now for his son, he does something very drastic and rash, and that is he makes a command that none of the armies will eat anything. They're going to go out to battle. They're going to go out and try to rescue Jonathan. Now, he hasn't been willing to fight up until this point. He hasn't been willing to engage the enemy at all up until this point. But now, the enemy has his son, and he's willing to do something. You know, circumstances got a way of getting our attention, don't they? He's willing to stand up and fight now, and he makes this very rash decision in that I don't want any of the armies that are going forth to battle to eat one bite of food until God has avenged us of our adversaries, until our enemies are vanquished. There's none of you that are going to be willing or be able, rather, uh, to eat. I'm making this decree, and this is the way it's going to be. Here it is, a king, a military leader, is sending forth troops into battle with no nourishment, with nothing to sustain them, nothing to restore their strength. They're going to be spending, of course, a lot of energy. You've already heard what kind of battlefield they're on. It's canyons. It's up and down mountains. It's a forest. And there's going to be a lot of rough country that they're going to be fighting on. And there's no food whatsoever to sustain them. And this king says, you can't eat anything until you come back with the victory. Now, thankfully, the King of kings and the Lord of lords doesn't do that to us. Amen. But he said, I'll not leave you comfortless, but I'll come to you. And he was speaking of the Holy Ghost. How many knows that we're engaged in a battle and we're on a pretty rough battlefield? This world is not getting better, but the Bible said it's waxing worse and worse. The conditions of the, of the war that we're in are not getting better, but they're getting worse. Situations of our world are becoming more chaotic as every day goes by. But I'm thankful that God did not send us out into this world without the power of the Holy Ghost within us to confront the enemy and the challenges that are before us. That when we go forth, we do not go forth alone. But he said, I'll be with you. Amen. He told his disciples when he sent them forth that, that he would be with them. Amen. Even to the end of the world. It doesn't matter what you face. You know that you're not facing it by yourself. It doesn't matter what the enemy does. You know that you're not facing that enemy alone. But I am with you. I'm going to help you. I'm going to give you the strength necessary to be victorious. Hallelujah. Praise God. So when we go forth to battle, we don't go forth as these men did in this battle without the help and the strength necessary to be victorious. He was sending them out on a fool's errand he was sending them out when it was impossible for them to be successful. I'm thankful that the Lord doesn't do that to not one of us that's in this place. Now, we may choose to go it alone. We may choose to live life without him. We may choose to try to even be religious without him. We may choose to be a so-called Christian without him. But can I tell you that he has given us the power through the Holy Ghost to be successful and to live and be victorious for him in this battle. These men, the Bible says, as a result of this command of the king, they grew faint. They grew weak. Amen. Acts 1 and 8 tells us, but ye shall have power after which the Holy Ghost is come upon you. I'm thankful that we're not sent out without power. When we're sent out into this battle, we have the power of the Holy Ghost on the inside that enables us and strengthens us. And sometimes there is struggle. And sometimes there is resistance. Sometimes there is the wiles of the devil as the scripture talks about. The Bible doesn't say that we don't wrestle. It just says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And you need to be able to identify that. You need to be able to realize that because sometimes we want to put names on things. 
And we want to put personalities to it. And we want to say, thus and so. Everybody look up here. I'm, I'm preaching up here. Praise God. Uh, everybody wants to, to put a name on, on a situation or a thing. Is that right? Amen. They, they, they have a, a problem that has really evolved because, because of a spirit that is influencing somebody. And they want to blame that person. They want to say it's that individual. Amen? When many times it's behind the scenes, a spirit that is influencing that kind of behavior. And I'm going to tell you, you can't cast out flesh, but you can bind a spirit. Praise God. You can take authority over a spirit. You can take dominion over a spirit. And so instead of what I would call chopping at the limbs, let's get to the root of the matter and realize that it's influenced by a spirit. And there's a lot of spirits in this world that are, that are trying to dominate the minds of people. I see it at work in just about every church service that I'm involved in. And I've noticed over the past uh, 23 years of preaching full time that this is not, not something that has has uh, lessened in its intensity, but it's grown worse in its intensity. And it's, it's, it's a greater challenge than it ever has been. I notice in church services, it's hard to keep people's attention. You know why? Because we're living in a digital world. And the kids that are growing up now, they've been playing games and they've been on their, their cell phones and, and, and they got all of this. And so they, they got what I call uh, digital ADD. Statistics, the latest statistics show that you can only go just a matter of minutes without checking your phone. That's right. And that's the challenge. We're trying to get the Word of God in. And that's what's going to give you the strength that you need and the ability to overcome. And, and, and so we need to do whatever we got to do to harness our minds and to bring ourselves into focus and realize that what goes on here in the 45 to 60 minutes that we're here hearing the Word of God, that it's very imperative that I be able to grasp as much of it as I possibly can. of it as an individual needs nourishment for their physical body. If you'd been roaming around in the mountains and finally had a chance to sit down at somebody's supper table, you're not going to ask them, hey, do you mind, do you have Wi-Fi here? Do you mind if I can get my phone synced up to Wi-Fi here because while I'm eating here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to check the phone. Probably isn't going to be your concern. Is that right? Hallelujah. Well, you know, the only way to connect with God is to disconnect from some things in this world. That's right. Praise God. I notice even while I'm preaching here, it's hard for some people to make it through this little bit of time without talking and carrying on a conversation with somebody sitting next to them. Come on, this is the house of God. We need the Word of God to penetrate deeply into our heart and take root in our spirit. And the only way that it can is I got to disconnect from some things. And I got to plug in to the source that God wants me to plug into. Praise God. God gives us the power. Jonathan, he, he's fighting the same enemy. And he comes into this wooded area. He's fighting the same enemy these guys are fighting. He, he's, they're not experiencing anything he's not experiencing. They're not going through anything he's not going through. The Bible said there is no temptation but what is common to man. Somebody says, well, I'm going through something nobody else is going through. I'm facing things nobody else is facing. I got a devil on me. Ain't nobody else ever, ever had to tackle. Ain't nobody else had to deal with what I'm dealing with. You're wrong according to the Word of God. Because the Bible says there's no temptation, but that is common to man. We're all fighting spirits. We're all struggling. But how we deal with it and how we overcome pertains to our willingness to allow the Holy Ghost to work in our lives and to influence our lives 
and to influence our decision making. Some people want to make 10 years of bad decisions and expect one good decision to pull them out. But the Bible says, whatsoever man sows, that shall he also reap. Now I thank God for crop fairy every once in a while, and you do too, if you're honest. You thank God that every once in a while there's a drought when it comes to what you've planted. You thank God every once in a while that he didn't let everything you planted to come up and be fruit in your life. Amen. You're, you're thanking God for that, aren't you? Amen. If you're wise, you're thanking the Lord that everything you planted, praise God. Uh, some of you kids need to think about things you're planting that you may have to reap in your own kids. Oh, Lord Jesus. Don't think of it, do you? Because you think, man, that's a long ways down the road. I'm going to tell you, you're going to blink three times and turn around once and you're going to be there. Amen. And I'm going to be sitting there saying, I told you so. Amen. I told you. Praise God. Because it's easy to think. You know, time drags on the time you're about 14, 15 to the time you're about 21. And then somewhere along in there, it hits mock speed. And then when you get 30, 35, it hits Mach 2. And I don't know what it does after about 41, but I'm hoping it'll slow back down a little bit. But it's probably not. <laughs> Brother Smith said he just, uh, he just turned a half a century old. He said it doesn't. Amen. I'm going to listen to the wise old sage up here. and say praise God you know when I do that I can't remember where I'm at half the time and I'm trying to worm my way back around over there and trying to get back anointed again and you know why I do this humor thing sometimes is because I gotta loosen you all up I can just feel it go. you sucking down amen I believe we can enjoy church I believe that I believe when the Word of God is preached, even if it's corrective at times, and teaching is such. Amen. shows us the correct way of doing things. Amen. We learn to live life better. We learn to be more successful for God. And who wouldn't want that? Because if I do it right, I can be blessed. Amen. There's some people that got to learn the hard way. They got to go to the school of hard knocks. I don't want all that. I want to be able to listen. I want to be able to receive the Word of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. And so he's fighting the same enemy. He comes into this wooded area, and there's honey that's dripping down even onto the ground. And these other men, they walk right past it because they remember the king's command. They're not supposed to eat it. He reaches down with his staff, and he touches it, and then he touches it to his mouth. And immediately, there's something that happens for him. Two things happened that I want you to catch. First of all, the scripture says his eyes, everybody say his eyes, his eyes were enlightened. It's amazing to me that in the scripture, you study the New Testament, the most recordings of miracles, of the same miracle is the recovering of sight. Now there's a lot of other miracles, but the one that is most recorded is the recovering of sight. Why is that? Because it's so important for us, not only physically, and I can't imagine uh, when we talk about this, physically we all understand the gravity of, of, of eyesight. But can I tell you that spiritually if it's, it's even more significant. It's even more important that we have our sight spiritually. Second Corinthians chapter number 4 and verse 4, in whom the God, little g, of this world have blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine 
unto them. He wants to blind them from the gospel ever coming to them. That's why so many people that read the same Bible you read, they look at the same scriptures you look at, they read the same verses, the same chapters. They got the same book of Acts that you do. And they can't see it. I I can't see this. I, I can't see why that I need to be baptized in Jesus. I can't see that I need the Holy Ghost. I cannot see that there's only one God. Why is that? Because the God of this world has blinded their minds. He's blinded their minds. He's tried to, to darken their understanding in this area. And we know that the Bible said that he brought us out of darkness into this marvelous light. When you got the truth, you came into light and you were able to see things that you were not able to see beforehand. Amen? There was clarity that came. There's things you'll never be able to see in the dark. But you flip the lights on and you can see them very obviously. And some of us, when the lights came on, you remember the moment. You said, I see it now. I see it now. I understand it now. I was reading somebody uh, the other day that was that was uh, writing an article about an event that happened in their church as they were preaching uh, that while they were, I think they were actually teaching, and uh, they said there was, a, there was a man that was a guest there that had been coming, and suddenly he yelled out in the congregation. He said, that is a revelation. I see it now. Can I tell you, that's still how truth comes, is it comes when the lights come on and revelation comes. Illumination comes. His eyes were enlightened he saw things that he needed to see Ephesians chapter 5 verse 8 for we were sometimes darkness but now ye are light in the Lord Ephesians 1 18 the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and Jesus told them in John 16 and 13, how be it when he, what was he talking about? The spirit of truth is come. He will guide you into all truth. Something about when the Holy Ghost comes. I've seen people say, well, I don't understand this, and I don't understand this over there, and I don't quite get this part of it over here. You know what I encourage you to do? Don't get the cart before the horse. I don't understand why uh, the Word of God teaches these things about separation from the world. You know, you can't understand holiness until you get the Holy Ghost. Completely understand it. Amen? And when you get it, you understand that this is a treasure, an earthen vessel. And it it helps me. It's like a it's like a uh, spiritual GPS or uh, I don't know it's kind of like something's been inserted on the inside of me that when I get close to things that I don't need to be partaking in there's a warning device that goes off in me spiritually that said don't go there don't do that don't, don't participate in that don't talk about that don't use those words amen and the further you get away from, let me say this to the saint of God, the further you get away from renewal in the Holy Ghost, the more those things of the world will start creeping back in. And, and the weaker, you ever heard a, you ever heard a, uh, maybe it's a, some kind of sensory device on your phone or, 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 uh, or maybe it's uh, uh, on your car or maybe it's in your home. When the batteries start running down, the warning. Alarm clock, when the batteries, some of those battery-operated alarm clocks, man, when they got a full battery, they'll wake up the dead. I mean, that thing, if you got one of those old wind-up types, my God, better not get one of those around anybody that's uh, alerted real easily because they'll knock a hole in the ceiling. When that thing goes off, they've got that little hammer that goes between them bells. And that thing's moving across the nightstand. But as that thing begins to wear down, and that's exactly the way you are in the spirit. When you're 
spiritual batteries get low, if I could say it that way. You're talking on a lo low cell phone. i got to get down here where these this young folks can understand me here. You got them cell phones. That, that cell phone is a natural connection with young people. Amen. You got that cell phone. That I, can't, I can't hear you because why? They got low signal. I, I went through a bad spot. Went through a bad patch. Amen. Well, when they get closer to the tower, things come through a little clearer. Amen. Well, people go through a bad patch when they get away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and they get away from the presence of God and they stop worshiping and they stop praying and suddenly the connection is broke and things of this world that used to not be acceptable certainly become suddenly become acceptable to them. Amen? It doesn't matter what it is, an attitude or spirit. It usually starts with an attitude because your attitude really is a reflection of your spirit. You got a sour attitude, it's a reflection of your spirit. Something going on internally. Something taking place internally. And I could go a little deeper with that, but I won't. I'm just I'm just saying you gotta stay in tune. You gotta stay hooked up. You gotta stay renewed in the Holy Ghost. Let us stay full of the Holy Ghost. And not only was his eyes, he saw things he needed to see. You'll see things. You get the Holy Ghost, you start reading this Bible, and it'll just start, man, things start coming open to you. Just start looking and seeing, and re revelation comes. And it doesn't ever stop as long as you let the Spirit lead you in the Scripture. And then Jonathan also had his strength returned so that he could finish, he could finish the job that he set out to do. Can I tell you that you can receive strength only through being renewed in the Holy Ghost. I read it to you, but Acts 1 and 8 talks about power from heaven. Isaiah 28 and 12 talks about rest and refreshing. Amen. Praise God. We receive refreshing when the Holy Ghost comes. Those that were deceived by Saul into not partaking of the honey, the Bible says they grew faint, and then you read on down, it says very faint, and then... They slew those animals and ate them with the blood, so they sinned. No matter how well-intended that they were, no matter how they had made commitments and said, we're not going to do this, they got weak enough that they vacillated, they compromised, they let down, they capitulated on their commitment, and they ate the animals with the blood, which was a sin for Israel. They committed sin. Saul deceived them into thinking you you don't need anything. You can't you can't eat that. You can't partake of that. So that when they came through this provision of honey, they didn't partake of it. Can I tell you that Satan's still deceiving people today into saying that the Holy Ghost is not for us, that the Holy Ghost is not needed. I'm gonna tell you, I can't imagine anybody not wanting it. But can I tell you, you gotta have it in order to stand up against the pressure of this end time age and to not be sinful you've got to have the Holy Ghost to not uh, continue in a sin nature you've got to have the Holy Ghost people just like these men fail when they don't receive the Holy Ghost never have we been in a greater battle than what we're in and never have we needed the strength of the Lord like we need it now would you stand with me? Lift up your hands to the Lord and let's praise Him right now. Thank you, Jesus. Come on, lift up your voice and let's thank God for the Holy Ghost.